All right, welcome back to the Green Mountain Sports Roundup. I am Ernesto Sanchez. I'm here with John Downing, and we're here to give you a quick roundup of the last couple weeks in sports. Johnny, how you doing? Um, good. Good. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you look uh, very scruffy. Yeah, I know. This beard's it's out of control. Like you just shaved your chest and balls and glued it to your face. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing at this point. I know <laughs> how you feel now. Yeah. You know, usually the Bruins don't make it this far, so I got the playoff beard, for those who don't know. And you can uh, the rules are you can't shave it. As yeah. far as long as your team continues in the playoffs until they're eliminated or win the cup, you can't shave it. The only thing you can do is trim it between rounds. Oh. Those are the rules. Oh, okay. So, hmm. I got that going on. And since the playoffs started back, uh, it's a little over two months now since the playoffs started. So, I have a two-month scraggly beard on my face. Yeah, well, everybody who knows me is very grateful that the Penguins were swept uh, in the first round. So, chief chief among them being my girlfriend, uh, who doesn't have to It's not get- a good look. No, well, especially because I just do the mustache. After winning back-to-back cups, I felt like I didn't need the full, the full beard. Especially how awful it's. It's truly terrible. You remember we did your bachelor party, and I looked yeah. like a rapist. Yep, I do remember. <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. I just hope that it's a happy shave, yeah. not not an angry shave, where I'm like, why the hell did I do this? Yeah, I've never had a a game seven shave. I'm sure that's gonna be. Uh, I mean, we're gonna get into hockey, but I can't believe how how few games game sevens there's actually been in Stanley Cup history. This is number sixteen. Yeah, that's crazy to me. I mean, and this it, is the last first one since 2011 when the Bruins won at Vancouver, four to one. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, so. It doesn't happen as often as you would think. So, something to look forward to. And this is also the first Game 7 in any sport in Boston since 1984. And it will be exactly 35 years to the day since 1984 when Larry Bird beat the L.A. Lakers June 12th. Tomorrow night when the Bruins play at the Blues Game 7. And so ticket prices are... You know, reflecting that, just to get in the building alone, you know, in the last balcony seat is $2,000 just to enter the building, which is insane. So, Boston's buzzing. It's going to be an iconic game no matter what happens. Man, what a a playoff we've had. I can't remember, uh, aside from obviously the cups that my team won, I can't think of a, a a more satisfying playoffs to watch. Like it's just been so compelling. There's been so many story storylines, so many things that are unexpected and fun. And it's not fun for me. Well, yeah, <laughs> these really... games are not fun. <laughs> I feel like I need to have the nine one one ready to go watching these games. Yeah, well, especially you. We know how you get. Um, <laughs> but you know. Also, three Stanley Cup finals in a decade, that's fun. No matter how you slice it, even though it's sometimes it's heartbreaking, 
Um, it's such a big difference, though, if they win this one. Like, regardless, Bergeron's going to be a Hall of Famer. But for guys, all the other guys, even Bergeron, too. But all the other guys, Charles a Hall of Famer, of course, too. But Tuka Rash, to win, you know, he won the Stanley Cup in 2011, but obviously Tim Thomas was the main goaltender. Um, but it just puts the guys like Bergeron, Chara, Marshan, Krejci, it puts Tuka, it puts them all on another level. Mm-hmm. And so they're not quite your guys like Sidney Crosby and Malkin who have three, or the Blackhawks who have Kane and Taves, but they're in now in that that conversation. They're not a one-off team. They're a team that has multiple Stanley Cups. So I feel like there's just such a difference between winning one and being a group that's won multiple. Right. Don't you? Right. Like, I, yeah, you remember I the multiples. Everyone remembers the, the guys that have multiple Stanley Cups. So right. I'd, like, I mean, I'd Cr- like to have it done. Chris Kunitz has four, right? <laughs> I mean, you, just for like, with the same team though too, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, no, of course. Okay, well... We'll get into hockey later. <laughs> Although it is the pressing thing on on your mind, as it should be. Seven, yep. As it should be. Okay, let's uh, get right into our twenty eights. I guess I'll go first here. Uh, I went with Ian Cole. Ian who? <laughs> who the hell is that? Very predictably, anybody on those sixteen, seventeen Stanley Cup winning. Penguins teams, uh, if their numbers come up and I don't have anybody better, I'm going to go with them. So uh, to answer your question, he is a last pair uh, defenseman um, for now the Colorado Avalanche. So it would be like me going with Connor Clifton. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. I'd find someone better. But like do who? you do you. Like who? Marshall Falk? I don't like him either, but he, <laughs> he, I mean, he... He fits what we do here. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll shout him out after this. But okay. but first, the Ann Arbor, Michigan native uh, drafted 18th overall by the St. Louis Blues in the 2007 draft. So, a bust. You know, what he turned into based uh, versus what their expectations of him were. Uh, but a great player, heart player. One of those guys uh, will drop the mitts, get it going. Uh, acquired from the St. Louis uh, Blues by... Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2015 for Robert Bortuzzo, uh, who's playing in this series, uh, and a 2016 seventh round pick. Uh, in 2016, he scored the opening uh, goal in Game Four of the Finals against the Sharks, and that is his first and only playoff goal. Huge goal at the time, though. Uh, traded to Columbus uh, via Ottawa for Derek Brassard. Uh, I would have. Honestly, rather kept fucking Ian Cole. Uh, and then later dealt to Colorado. This season, Cole laid out Evgeny Kuznetsov with a late hit and fought Tom Wilson, suffered a fractured orbital bone. He is a two-time Stanley Cup champion, bronze medal winner in the 07 World Juniors, 476 NHL games played, 22 goals, <clears throat> 90 assists, 471 penalty minutes and 14 fights. Uh, two-time Stanley Cup champion, Ian Cole. Okay. All right, my number 28 is going to be Julio Daniel Martinez, better known as J.D. Martinez of the Boston Red Sox. Um, he was born August 21st, 1987. He is six foot three, weighs 221 pounds. 
Um, when he, the Red Sox acquired him before the beginning of the 2018 season, uh, he was a necessary piece for the team because their offense struggled so much the year before, especially generating power and home runs. So when they put him in the middle of the lineup, it really put everything together and the Red Sox were able to have the historic season that they ended up having last year on their way to winning the World Series and finishing with 119 wins, one of the all-time seasons. Um, so J.D. Martinez proved to be a perfect fit with that team. Um, the guy just hits. He flat out hits. He was drafted in 2009 out of Miami, Florida in the 20th round with the 611th pick to the Houston Astros. So he was the first of the Astros really good picks. So when, you know, they took the guys like after him, it was Altuve and it was Carlos Correa and George Springer and... Uh, Alex Bregman, but they they weren't patient enough on J.D. Martinez. They didn't, you know, they saw something in him, and, you know, they called him up a few times, but he had issues with the swing, and so they weren't patient enough with him, and, you know, like he got called up in 2011, and then he ended up getting traded to the Detroit Tigers in 2014, which is where he really started to blossom as a major league hitter. He, he found his swing, he got a swing coach, and he was able to fix that hole in his swing. And ever since he went to the Tigers, he's been one of the best hitters in baseball. And until he came to the Red Sox last year, he was one of the most underrated hitters in baseball. Uh, he does have a career 293 batting average with 207 home runs and 639 RBIs. Um, he does have an opt-out clause after this year, so it'll be interesting to see if JD um, opts out. I assume he will, um, or he can continue making just over $20 million for one more season. But you know, he's in his early 30s now, so he's probably going to want to get another deal for a couple for multiple years. Too rather... much for too long on that championship pedigree. Yeah. So, so we'll see. So that's my number 28, JD Martinez. Right. Really love having him on the Sox. Oh yeah. One of those uh, good character guys, right? Absolutely, that too. Yeah, everyone talks about how he w helps everybody with the team with their swing. You know, Mookie Betts had a career year last year, and you know JD is notorious for the work he puts in before game and after games, and the notes he takes on pitchers. Um, and he even films his batting practice sessions to see what he's doing wrong. So he takes his craft very, very seriously, and I think that's something that the young Red Sox. Um, really needed, you know, guys like Betts, Ben, and Tendy Bogarts. They needed somebody like that who works hard and can show them what they need to do. Um, it, it's not really translating yet, yet, that yet this year because of the World Series hangover that they have been mired in this slump since since 2019 has begun. But last year we get we saw the fruits of the labor of Jay Martinez. So that's that's it. 28. All right, as you said earlier. Fits in with our show, so we would be remiss if we didn't mention Marshall Falk on episode 28. Running back in the National Football League, 12 seasons, college football Hall of Famer, pro football Hall of Famer, uh, selected by the Indianapolis Colts, but I think best known for his time with the Rams. Yeah, with the greatest show on turf. But even in his early days with the Colts, he played with Peyton Manning, and you know they could have been keep they could have been something great there too. So right. Falk is one of only three NFL players to reach at least 10,000 rushing yards and 5,000 receiving yards. Uh, you know the other two? No, I'm not in football mode, sorry. Marcus Allen and Tiki Barber. 
Wow, I never would have guessed Tiki Barber. He is the only one to amass 12,000 yards rushing and 6,000 yards receiving. Three-time NFL Offensive Player of the Year, NFL MVP in 2000, seven-time Pro Bowler, uh, Super Bowl, what is that, 34 champion, three-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, Touchdowns Leader in 2000, Colts Ring of Honor, and uh, Los Angeles Rams retired his number 28. St. Louis Rams. Well, yeah, okay, yes. At the time, the St. Louis Rams, yeah. now now L.A. Rams. But uh, He was a tremendous fantasy football player, too. He was always like a number one pick type guy because he caught the ball, too. Yeah. Scored touchdowns. Yeah, but he was a, he's a bitch, punk bitch ass, you know, always bitches about the Patriots, so don't really like him too much. <laughs> okay, we're done with our numbers. Moving on. A couple quick notes before we uh, get into the draft talk, and, and we'll save we'll save hockey talk for last today. But we got a lot of clips for you today, so um, before we get into that, I uh, just wanted to give a shout-out to Andy Ruiz Jr. Uh, beating heavyweight Anthony Joshua in what they're saying is the biggest upset in fighting since Buster Douglas and, and probably a bit, an even bigger upset. Anthony Joshua was knocked down four times before the fight was stopped in the seventh round at Madison Square Garden, making Andy Ruiz Jr. the first fighter of Mexican descent to win the IBF, WBA, WBO, World Heavyweight titles. Wait, so Joshua, he's supposed to end up facing Deontay Wilder at some point in this big Mm -hmm. bout. And this was supposed to be just like a stepping stone on the way to that build, build, build his name up, Give him a big... Man, the heavyweight division just can't get out of its own way. Yeah. Andy Ruiz Jr. only had four weeks to prepare for the fight. He agreed to the fight four weeks earlier. That's crazy. And I think it's just uh, under preparation. And Andy Ruiz, if you, he, he's got fast hands if you watch it happening. Um, Joshua had only been knocked down once before in his 23 fight career and suffered his first loss. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Can't get out of its own way. Would have had would have been a good build up for a fight between Joshua and Wilder. Uh, also wanted to mention the U.S. Open happening this weekend. Well, this week uh, heading into the weekend uh, at Pebble Beach, historic golf course. Uh, Brooks Kepka is chasing a slice of history here, uh, seeing if he can pull off the three-peat with the U.S. Open. And the only other person uh, to have done that before is Willie Anderson. A Scottish-American golfer back in 1903, 1904, 1905. Uh, Kepka is the top-ranked golfer uh, on the tour right now. He also won the PGA Championship last August and again last month. Uh, three of the last five majors, and he's won four of the past nine majors. I like Brooks Kepka. He seems like a good dude. Yeah, yeah. Easy to root for. You know, Tiger's going to be in the mix, too. He's going to be playing in a group with Justin Rowe and Jordan Spieth. Um, of course, the the famous uh, open win at Pebble Beach 19 years ago by him. Um, you know, with the the chip in and the the fucking ah, you know, yep. the the fist pump. So Pebble Beach is going to be electric. It'll also be nice to watch uh, as 
the other championships are, are winding down. It'll be it's gonna be a lot of fun. All right, uh, Johnny. Before we head into uh, some draft talk, let's go into our first clip. Uh, some sad news coming out of the Dominican Republic. Our medical team here in Boston and the doctors in the Dominican Republic have confirmed that David's condition is still serious, but that he is stable enough to be transported back here to Boston for continued care. In coordination with our medical team, the club has arranged for a medical air ambulance to transport David to Boston from Santo Domingo. Our hope is that David will arrive here in Boston sometime later tonight. Out of respect for David's privacy, I don't have any additional details about his medical condition. Right now, the club's exclusive focus is on David's health and well-being, and we're doing everything we can to get David back to Boston as soon as possible. I just hope, you know, that you know, he when he gets here everything is fine and we can see that big man again with us and and filling our room with with joy. Uh, so it's, it's something that you you don't expect. I've been saying it all along, you know, and and this is why sometimes I, I'm brutally honest. You know, there's life. There's more important things than the Red Sox. Winning or losing, pitching changes, this and that. It's life, man. We went through it with Nick. We went through it with Blake. I went through it with Addy last year. This is just part of what we do, you know. And and the big man, I know he will be fine. You know, I, I trust. I do trust that he'll be fine, so. You know, that's all I want from everybody here, you know, just stay positive and keep praying for him. But it has been very tough. Unbelievable. You know, I found out uh, this morning when I woke up and, and your first reaction is complete shock. And then, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to him. I mean, you know, you look at, uh, you know, my playing career, you look at the rivalry that we had with Boston, you know, David was one of the first names that come to mind. I mean, it, everyone knows what he was able to do on the field, but, uh, you know, the type of person he was off of the field, just getting to know him over the years and what he's meant to the community, not only in Boston, but in the Dominican. Um, you know, this is a guy that's beloved throughout the sport and throughout sports in general. And um, you just wish him a speedy recovery, but it was complete and utter shock. So those are comments from Sam Kennedy, manager Alex Cora, and Derek Jeter. Uh, Johnny, thoughts? Okay, yeah, so this happened Sunday night between periods two and three of the Bruins game, and it made the Bruins' victory in game six a little difficult to enjoy, or almost totally difficult to enjoy, because David Ortiz, to me, in Boston, what he means to me is almost everything you know mm -hmm. i think it's for me it's tom brady one david ortiz two in my life you know forget players and guys that i adore and what they've meant in my life because i'm on this earth for sports i am you know i am all about sports and i'm all about my boss and sports anyone who knows me 
So, and, um, and Boston sports are, are huge to me, and all with all the winning they've done, Brady's won, Ortiz is two, and all the clutch moments over the years. You know, nobody was more clutch than Big Poppy. And then in 2013, after the marathon bombing with the speech he gave, saying, This is our fucking city, um, the impromptu speech that I gave on the field. And then they, he leads the team to the World Series. And then he basically didn't get an, an, an out in the World Series, he was unstoppable. So he just delivered and he lifted the spirit, the, the city spirits by winning another World Series, his third. And for him to get shot, it's just heartbreaking news. And of course, we didn't know what happened. There were conflicting reports saying he was shot in the, the leg. leg. Yeah. And then you see the video and, you know, he's just sitting at a restaurant slash bar with some friends, um, apparently a Dominican rapper he was with. And uh, this guy, apparently it was... So we'll get into the story, but two guys on a motorcycle, motorcycle stops, and one guy approaches Ortiz from behind and shoots him in the back. The bullet goes into his back and out through his stomach, and then his friend uh, take a, gets him in the car and, you know, get, is getting him to a hospital, and it's not the hospital Ortiz wanted to go to. He demanded to go to this other hospital. They get to the hospital Ortiz wanted to go to, and there's no doctor there. They have to wait for the doctor. Like, what kind of Mickey Mouse operation is this? Where this clinic, hospital, doesn't have a freaking doctor ready to go. So who knows what kind of additional damage he incurred having to wait for treatment, mm -hmm. you know? So... Then he gets his treatment, and you know we get the reports that he was shot in the back and everything, and that hopefully he seems like he's gonna live. And then the Boston sending an airplane down there, an emergency air ambulance airplane, and on Monday yesterday they they get him out of there, bring him back to Boston where the best hospitals in the world are. They bring him to um, Mass General Hospital, and he had a so he had surgery in the Dominican, the first surgery, and then he had a second surgery on Monday night, an exploratory surgery. He had his gallbladder removed, um, parts of his intestine, parts of his colon. Um, so he's in rough shape, but then, you know, we got reports from his family, his, his wife Tiffany this morning saying that he, he was up on his feet today and in good spirits, and we got reports from his dad saying he's going to be okay. So that's what it is. Um, you know, thoughts and prayers to David Ortiz. The only thing I would have preferred in Alex Cora's speech is to say to the team, instead of there's other things bigger than baseball, I would have preferred if he said something along the lines of, guys, this is David Ortiz we're talking about. This guy lifted Boston and he lifted this team over and over and over again over the years. And you, most of the team has played with David Ortiz a couple years ago. Now it's time for us to lift him. Mm -hmm. Right with our play, let's lift his spirits and play really well. Because God knows they've been in this this prolonged hangover slump for almost half of the season now, and they just can't get out of their own way. And okay, let's go. Let's start playing well, and let's give him something to feel good about and can show a, him we're there. Can a man can a manager invoke that though? I feel like that has to be a player to do that. No, because Cora played with him. Cora played with him. He he's on, almost on the same level of his players, and he knows them well. And I just feel like. Like, hey, guys, you know, he was always there for us. Let's be there for him and do our part. And, you know, of course, they'll go visit him in the hospital and everything. But let's play better on the field. Let's be. Let's make the Red Sox exciting to watch again. Let's be good for him. And, no, the first game last night, they go out and blow lead late. And then they blow, they blow it again in the 11th inning. And, of course, tonight they're losing again early. So 
that's not changing much. So I would have preferred that Alex Cora's speech was different to the team. Uh, and then the other thing we, we got to get into is who shoots David Ortiz, right? Apparently a uh, drug lord's um, minions, right? Right. Okay. So the nothing is worth getting shot over. Let's just say that first and foremost. And David Ortiz has done so much good in the world, not just on the field, but off the field for the city of Boston and for the country of the Dominican Republic. He's been recognized by the former president down there who he's buddies with. And he's just done so much good for so many people, kids and you name it, everything. And so nothing that he's done is worth getting shot over. But the re- report that we're hearing, I'm just going to, we're, we're going to, we'll tell this because, you know, we want to inform people of, of why it could have happened. And we don't know this for a fact. We're just saying multiple places have said this, that he... Ortiz is married to his wife Tiffany and he has kids, but he was seeing a drug lord's girl and he was warned to stop seeing this drug lord's girl and Ortiz continued to see this girl over and over again. And so the hit was to send a message right. to Ortiz. And I think you, you see that it was a message because the guy had could've Ortiz shot him right point blank and he could have shot him in the head and instead he shot him in the back. Although I'm hearing conflicting... I don't know how this works, obviously. All I'm hearing conflicting reports that maybe they do try to shoot you in the back to paralyze you or whatever. And if you aim for the head, you can miss. So they don't want to miss, so they shoot you in the back. But for me, if I'm trying to analyze the whole thing, yeah. I think shooting him in in the stomach or through the back into the stomach is, a, is more of a message than the full-on assassination shooting him in the head, which he totally could have done mm-hmm. the way it went He's down. He's literally right behind him. He was right behind him. And I, I just think Ortiz is incredibly lucky, and who knows if he'll ever be the same. We'll see. Those people that are calling for Ortiz to be the banner captain from the hospital bed at the Bruins game tomorrow night, that ain't happening. Let's just hope he gets better, all right? The people are really calling for that? Yeah. Oh, my God. From from the hospital bed? You know what? I think we may see, we'll get in a hockey later, is Brady in an Ortiz jersey. Oh, oh, that would be awesome. All right, Johnny, give me me your rundown of the draft. All right. (sighs) Drink to reset. (laughs) Monday, June 2nd was the 2019 uh, first year player draft for Major League Baseball. And I know that Major League Baseball draft is definitely down the list. It's... Tied for third, maybe even fourth, with the NHL behind MLB and NBA. Or I'm sorry, NFL and NBA drafts. NBA draft is coming up next week. But I do just want to kind of go over the top 10 players drafted because when you go through the top 10 of who's been drafted in the last 10, 20 years and you look through the drafts, those players are usually the impact players around the league. You know, the guys like Bregman and Anthony Rizzo and so on and so on and so on. If you're a high, if you're a top 10 pick in the MLB draft, usually that portends to good things coming. Okay. So these are names that you're going to want to know. So first overall went to the Baltimore Orioles. It was catcher, catcher Adley Rutschman out of Oregon State. Um, this guy is kind of a cross between Buster Posey and Matt Wieters. He's more of a can't miss pick. If he came out the year before, he also would have went number one. So, yeah, I think he's a good solid pick. I don't think he'll be a total, complete stud. I just think he'll be a really solid baseball player. Good leader for the Orioles, a good centerpiece to kind of start the rebuilding of their organization. 
Now, the second pick is a guy I love. He's the son of former pitcher um, Bobby Witt of the Angels, who pitched 16 years in the major league. So he has the um, lineage, if you will. The he's pedigree. Pedigree. And he's got drafted by the Kansas City Royals. Uh, shortstop Bobby Witt comes out of high school. This kid's going to be unbelievable, and he's going to be on the fast track to the big leagues. He's got character plus character, and he's got skills galore. Um, and if we're ranking the top shortstop prospects since 1987, number one, of course, is A-Rod, drafted in 1993. Number two is Bobby Witt, just drafted right now in 2019. Three, Chipper Jones, 1990. Four was Manny Machado in 2010. And number five, believe it or not, was outfielder Justin Upton was a shortstop prospect in 2005. So Bobby Witt is going to be good. So know that name. Uh, number three, the pick that I really don't like is Andrew Vaughn, first baseman, went to the Chicago White Sox out of Cal. He's a short, power-hitting, right-handed first baseman, and he just doesn't look very athletic to me. And you can find short, power-hitting first baseman anywhere. I mean, you, the Red Sox had Steve Pierce last year. You know, these guys kind of grow on trees. So for the White Sox to spend a top three pick on a guy that you can get in a lot of spots, I, I really don't like it. And he, he, you know, I, I know that the numbers are there and the power looks legit and he, he could prove me wrong. But if I'm assessing the draft, I don't really like this Andrew Vaughn pick. I think he'll be the bust of the group. Uh, number four, another stud. I think Jeter did really well on this pick for Miami. Out of Vanderbilt, which is a MLB factory, outfielder J.J. Blade. Uh, sweet left-handed swing. He's this guy's gonna be really good, and be coming up soon because the Vandy guys, you know, they're they're mostly really good major league baseball players. Five to Detroit Tigers was outfielder Riley Green, a high school prospect. I really like him as well. Um, doesn't have the power or the production that Blade had, but he's a low strikeout guy, very athletic. Uh, number six, C.J. Abrams was a shortstop, went to the San Diego Padres. I don't know why they're drafting a shortstop when they have Fernando Tatis Jr., who's going to be there for the next 15 years, but I don't know. I guess they're stocked up everywhere. First pitcher taken was number eight, or number seven, sorry. Cincinnati Reds took pitcher Nick Lodolo out of TCU. Number eight was Josh Jung, third baseman, went to Texas Rangers out of Texas Tech. Number nine was Shea Langoliers, catcher, went to the Atlanta Braves out of Baylor University. Hold on. And he stops. <laughs> Number 10 is one of my favorite picks. Fell to the Giants. Fell right in their laps because he was supposed to go um, around 6, 7, 8. So he kept dropping. Hunter Bishop is an outfielder out to Arizona State. This kid's going to be really good as well. And um, last but not least, uh, the for catchers, drafted number one overall. Um, in 1985, Milwaukee Brewers took B.J. Surhoff. In 2001, the Minnesota Twins took catcher Joe Maurer. And then... The next one wasn't until this year, 2019. Baltimore Orioles select Adley Rushman. All right, so, and then we'll just quickly get into a couple of the Red Sox first four picks. Uh, the Red Sox didn't have a first round pick. Their first pick was in the second round, number 43 overall. They took Cameron Cannon out of Arizona, who's a second baseman slash shortstop. And then in the second round, at number 69, they took shortstop slash second baseman Matthew Lugo out of high school. And I think what you're seeing here, is the Red Sox preparing for Dustin Pedroia and how to fill that second base position? 
by taking their first two picks on middle, the cheap middle infield because they know Bogarts is going to be around for a while. So they're like, we got to, we have to do. Even so, if they hit hit on one of these guys, then that's good. But they got to start finding the guy because they have a hole at second base. And the third pick is Ryan Zephyrgen out of Kansas, a right-handed pitcher. He was picked 107. Don't love the arm. Um, he's good in short spurts. I see him more of a bullpen piece. Uh, the pick in the fourth round, number 137, is a guy I really like. He's uh, Noah Song. He's from Navy, right-handed pitcher, big, strong, would have gone much higher in the draft, but he has a two-year commitment uh, to the Naval Academy, so you won't see him for a few years, and so that's like the price you pay. Um, well, I guess they, the value you get by taking a Navy guy who has a two-year military commitment is he drops in the draft. So they're getting a talented kid. They just have to wait a few years for Noah Song to, to show up on their radar. So those are the first four picks for the Red Sox. All right. Sounds good. <clears throat> Speaking of the Red Sox, uh, as you were given your uh, dissertation there, Alex Cora and Andrew Benintendi were sent packing in this game. What happened? I don't know. It doesn't look like anybody's really sure exactly what happened either. The uh, the commentators think it could be uh, upset about some calls that had happened before and some obscene comments. It's about time to show some life, though. That you know, I'll take it. Yeah. Show something. Okay. Show that you're playing this year, because other than that, you don't see that this team is ridiculous. The season is going to be halfway complete in less than two weeks now. We'll be at the halfway point of the season. And they still haven't gotten their shit together. And there are 500, they have 34 wins. So at this point, they'll be lucky to get 80 wins. That's not going to get them in the playoffs. People are saying, oh, they'll get the wild card. They're not the wild card team right now. They're a couple games behind the Rangers. So they need to get it together fast. Might as well knock out the power 10 while we're here. Okay. Then we can uh, f- finish off with hockey. All right. Uh, just a couple more notes. So far this year, 2019, in the month of May, there was 1,135 home runs. That is the most in any month in MLB history. Wow. We are on pace for 6,554 home runs this season. The MLB record is 6,105, so this would beat that by 450. Do you know know what year that was? 2017. Oh, <laughs> two years ago. So we're on pace to hit 969 more home runs than just last year. Wow. So we are on an insane home run pace. All right. So players of the week for last week in the American League, we had Marcus Semyon, who batted 419. National League, they just traded over from the Seattle Mar- Mariners in the AL to the Phillies is Jay Bruce, the first trade item of the year. Um he has four home runs and 11 RBIs in his first week with his new team, the Phillies. Now, the players of the month from May, because we weren't here last week, I'll give you those. The Well, actually, I'm going to give you the players of the week from last week, which were Lucas Giolito, the pitcher for the White Sox, and Trevor Story, shortstop for the Rockies. Rookies of the month for May were Michael Chavis of the Red Sox, Austin Riley of the Braves. Pitchers of the month for May were Lucas Giolito of the White Sox and Hinjin Ryu of the Dodgers. And your players of the month for for May. In the American League, it was Rafael Devers, who batted 351, 8 home runs, and 24 RBI. And in the National League, Josh Bell, batted 390 with 12 home runs, 31 RBI. One for me, one for you. <laughs> okay, uh, moving on here. So we have a new number one this week in my MLB Power 10. We also have a new number 10. Uh, number 10 is the Texas Rangers. 
who I mentioned earlier, they have the wild second wild card spot in the American League right now. Number nine is the Philadelphia Phillies. Number eight is the Atlanta Braves. Seven, Milwaukee Brewers. Number six is the Chicago Cubs. So those four teams right there, those National League teams, they're going to be fighting all year long for seeding and playoff spots. And they're kind of just in a cluster. So you're, we're going to see this continue between the Cubs, Brewers, Braves, and Phillies all year. And they're going to be jockeying for position. Uh, moving into the top five, New York Yankees. Number four, Tampa Bay Rays. Number three, former number one team, the Houston Astros have dipped. I think the injuries are starting to catch up to them. Um, but they did just call up young prospect Jordan, Jordan Alvarez, who was leading the minor leagues with 23 home runs prior to his call-up. He is the next big thing for the Astros, so pay attention to him. Number two team is the LA Dodgers. And the new number one in my power 10 is the Minnesota Twins, who have the best record in baseball, best run differential, and are hitting home runs at an amazing clip, and they're pitching well. The only problem I see for them is the back end of their bullpen. All right, and the top 10 hitters over the last two weeks are Mike Trout, Starling Marte, oh. Ronald Acuna, Jay Bruce, Mike Moustakas, Edwin Encarnacion, Christian Yelich, Carlos Santana, David Dahl, and another Pirate, Colin Moran. Top 10 pitchers over the last two weeks, Uncle Charlie Morton, Kyle Hendricks, Walker Bueller, Mad Max Scherzer, Chris Sale, Adrian Sampson, surprising name from the Rangers, Hinjin Ryu, Annabelle Sanchez, Jake Odorizzi of the Twins, and Pablo Lopez of the Miami Marlins. All right, so that is this week in baseball. All right. Did, did I read somewhere that Chris Sale hasn't had a home win in something ridiculous? Yeah, they don't win when he pitches. It, it's pretty wild. And he's been pitching unbelievable for the last eight starts, so... Well, they just blow it at the end? Or? They just don't score runs for him, or, or they blow it at the end. Yeah, like yesterday. Last night, they had a 2-1 to lead in the ninth, and they blew it. Hmm. Yeah, you got you to gotta win when your aces are on the mound. When David Price and Chris Sale are on the mound, you get, those are games, those should be win days, automatic win days. And they're not. So Scheduled wins. Yeah. All right, we're going to move on to our next clip. Uh, some heartbreaking stuff coming out of Toronto. Ibaka trying to stay with Durant, knocks it away, and Durant's limping. Durant goes down, holding his leg. Ibaka goes up, and is fouled down the other end. And Durant grabbing that right leg. It's the right calf that put him out. And his teammates going over to check on him. They don't like to hear the fans yeah, cheering. I, I'm surprised by that, and and the players are telling him not to be doing that. No question to cheer for a player who gets injured. And credit Serge Ibaka, and there's the play right away. He knew it. You will not see a better sight than we just witnessed. Unfortunately, what happened to Kevin Durant, to Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka telling the crowd, no, we are not going to cheer when this guy goes down. They know us outside of the lines. They know the, the everyday struggles. They know the, you know, the, the, the adversity and the ups and downs we go through on a, on a daily basis. So uh, with that being said, he's feeling for the guy. It's not about basketball. It's about everything else. The shit that y'all don't care about. 
Trash. So trash. But like I said, Nola idolizes superstar athletes, not human beings. It's always about what we can do between those lines. That's it. That's all that ever matters. And then once we lash out and, you know, do human type things, then we can sit it back. Yeah, so I texted you right away when this happened, and I was absolutely sickened by the response of the crowd in Toronto. Yeah, it's crazy. How have you seen the close up of his Achilles popping? Yeah, so that's I guess when you know it's really bad was when it, you know, and I guess you can hear it pop like a champagne bottle. But yeah, you see the. The calf muscle. And it tells me that it was never... And I told you this when it first happened, when he first got injured over a month ago. I said that was an Achilles injury. He went down and grabbed down low by his upper foot, by his Achilles. He grabbed down by there, and they kept saying it was a calf injury. It wasn't. It was Achilles injury all along. And so they're saying that it was going to... May have popped eventually, like whether you know it was 20% or 40% or... However, like damaged it was and you know how much it was still holding on there was an issue there and i think that everybody kind of rushed the return here and i think we can kind of get a hint from the general manager and by the way kerr acted and as he was walking out last night saying the doctor said it was okay the doctor said it was okay you know everybody in the team too everyone tried to kind of rush katie's return and so he returns finally last night, and he was great early on. Oh, my he was God, he good. was amazing. You know, he was bouncing around. He was slamming, slamming the ball in pregames, and then he was draining threes in the first quarter. And Well, I think in pregame he was really trying to test it test it out and see if he was really going to be And then he tries to make a move in the second quarter, and if you look at the back of his calf, oh you can see God, it just snap. It just snapped. Ugh. And that's why I think it's a complete tear. They haven't announced exactly what it is yet, but I'm I, to me, I, I'm going to say... It's got to be a complete tear now, right? It's a wonder he didn't lose the foot. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's going to be out a while. I think on the early end, I was looking at some of the some of the um, comps for people that have had, a, a basketball players that have had Achilles injuries over the years. So guys like Kobe Bryant and Wesley Matthews came back at 240 days. And 240 days puts him back in around mid-February, early March next year. That's the early side, okay? But then there's guys like DeMarcus Cousins took just under a year to come back. Um, a lot of guys take take about just under a year. So if he takes just under a year, then that basically means he comes back in, in April and the season's just about over. So it's a safe bet to say that the entire NBA landscape is changing. Did the Knicks still give him the keys to the city if he's not going to be back Did you see April? the front page of the New York, uh, New York Daily News today? I didn't. Knicks lose game five. That was the, the headline. Knicks lose game five. <laughs> That's so bad. It's so bad. He still gets super fucking paid though, right? Yeah, he's getting paid. So he can opt in to stay with the Warriors for one more year for $31 million, which is what he'll probably do, you know, and just try to rehab the shit out of it and come back for a playoff run next year, I think. Or But, but teams will still sign him to a max deal too. It's just that if he was going to team up with, with Kyrie Irving or whoever on the Knicks or the Nets next year, that changes things. Because now Kyrie, he's got to, if, if he's going to go with, with Kevin Durant, 
then he's going to play a year by himself, and that's like almost a year wasted. You know what I mean? So I think this kind of could it could lead to Kyrie wanting to stay in Boston just because of the, you know, the plan of teaming up with KD. That's not going to work now because gonna, he's likely going to be out the entire year next year. Um, so, but that's but that's the long, broad view here is that, you know, the, le- the league and the free agency and the whole picture of, you know, the crazy free agency season that's coming up and what's going to happen is has now changed because we don't know exactly what Kevin Durant's going to do and he's going to miss a ton of time. But then there's also the issue, even once he comes back, is he going to be the same guy? Because a lot of guys with Achilles injuries say, even in their second year, you know, they still feel it. And, you know, so will Kevin Durant ever be the same player again? So he's 30 now. Next year that he misses will be 31. So when he's back playing at full strength, he'll be 32. You know, so players are playing later into their career, but will he he still be the best player or the second or third best player in the league at 32, 33, 34 years old? Yeah. Those are those are serious questions now. So I feel like the NBA, didn't the picture has changed now. Um, and, of course, the this immediate series, it, it changes because everyone thought Kevin Durant was coming back to save the day, and now we revert back to the old pre-Durant Warriors again trying yeah, to save the Yeah, but now they them. got now they got something to play for, especially Toronto cheering like now if at all possible the Golden State Warriors have a chip on their shoulder. Right. And you know, as they soon were as pissed. You, as soon as soon as you give guys like that motivation, you're going to find yourself in in a bad bad situation. You can hear it in uh DeMarcus Cousins' voice. Yeah, Clay Thompson was pissed he, too. He was pissed. And so, the game six is going to be the last game at Oracle, no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, they're moving into San Francisco Stadium in San Francisco next year. So, Oracle is going to be nuts. I, I find it hard to believe Toronto is going to win a third time in Golden State in the NBA Finals. You know, they could, but they blew it. Once Durant went out last night, they blew it. I thought the Warriors showed some serious resiliency. And then they kind of faded when Durant got hot in the middle of the fourth quarter. And he, Not Durant, I'm sorry, Kawhi got hot, scoring 10 straight points in the fourth quarter. And they, they took the lead over the Warriors, and I said, well, this is it. You know, I almost turned it off at that point because I thought that the Warriors were just going to fold up shop. Because there's a part of me that thinks that they're a little bit soft at the core. Um, but then Nick Nurse, uh, the coach of the Raptors, calls a timeout with three minutes and nine seconds to go when the Warriors were on the ropes. Curry and Clay were tired. Kawhi was rolling. And he calls a timeout. And it's like, okay, why? They were rolling. The, the, your team was rolling. And they're tired. It's three minutes to go. What are you calling timeout for? So the Warriors, Curry and Clay, end up getting their rest. The Raptors get a minute to think about what's happening, how they're about to win the first finals ever for the Toronto Raptors. You know, they get more time to think about what what might be happening and what what's going to happen here. And you don't want athletes, you, as an athlete, you don't want them in their own head thinking, think, you yeah. know. And so, sure enough, the Warriors come out and they showed some metal. They showed me something that I really didn't know they had. Curry hit a three-pointer. Klay Thompson hit two huge three-pointers, and the Warriors come back and take the lead. Yes, they made a couple mistakes in the final minute, but the Raptors made mistakes too with a shot clock violation. And then on the final play of the game, the final possession of the game, um, you know, Cousins gets um, gets called for the illegal screen 
which I thought was kind of a shitty call in the NBA Finals in the last minute of Game 5, but they called it. And Toronto gets the ball back, and everyone knows Kawhi is going to get the ball, but the Warriors aren't going to let Kawhi beat them, because we all saw that before as he beat Philly in Game 7. And so they, they let Kyle Lowry be open in the corner, and Danny Green open in the corner. And Danny Green had been cold all night, so he goes to Lowry. Lowry shoots it, and Draymond Green recovers nicely, and he gets a piece of it and then misses. And now we're on to a game six back at Oracle, and you got to think the Warriors have the uh, the edge here. I know that they're three-point favorites, and I expect them to win. Yeah. So we'll see. So then we'll have a game seven with a battle-tested Warriors team against the Raptors, who don't want to be a team that blew a 3-1 lead against the Warriors, and that'll be in their head. So we got a, good, we got a series now. So it's, this is something that, that came out of the KD injury. I think KD was um, going to save the day. Yeah. And now I think that he came out so hot. The series is interesting. That, so I, I watched this game in its entirety, and um, what really struck me was that for most of the game, Golden State was up by at least 10 points or around 10 points. But for a team that was losing by 10 points for – three quarters of the game, it felt like all the momentum was in Toronto's favor. Like they were really yeah. buzzing. They were making it happen. And they were like St. Louis, the blues, the game, game six, you know, the city's ready to explode, ready to go, you know, anticipating yeah. almost willing it to happen. Yeah. And they just, it just slipped through their fingers there at the end. Um, <sighs> Katie really had it going though. You could you could see he was possessed. I mean, did he miss a shot? No, no, he had eleven points and he didn't, hadn't missed a shot. No, <laughs> three three pointers in the first quarter. Oh, unbelievable! So I think we have a good series on our hands, and I'm excited to see what happens. And I I, I get to tell you, not just not just the Toronto fans booing Kevin Durant when he got hurt. You know that was just so classless and and. Just ugly, an ugly scene, and everyone knew it. I also saw a clip. Have you seen the clip where uh, Steph Curry's parents, former Raptor Del Curry, and his wife are going back to their hotel after the game? And there's a bunch of fans there, a whole group of fans, and someone catches a video of them saying, Fuck you, you dumb bitch. And a bunch of them just yelling stuff at Curry's mom. Like, stuff you wouldn't believe people would be yelling to someone's mom. Like, there's something wrong with these Toronto fans. They're just. Yeah, I think they're desperate for a championship. What have they? What have they had to to celebrate? They had the Blue Jays in the nineties. Mm, I don't know that one. We activated Alexa. <laughs> you so, got a deactivator now. I found a few matches. <laughs> Alexa, apologize. Stop. Sorry for the interruption by she who shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> But they, you said they had um, some championships in the 90s? Yeah, 92, Jays? 93, the Blue Jays won. They were great teams. Yeah, they had the walk-off Joe Carter home runs, one of the more iconic home runs in baseball history. So they've, they've had things. <laughs> they they yeah. have some. What they really want is that... Uh, Leafs. They want the Leafs. <clears throat> See, Tavares seemed to look like he was one of the guys cheering the KD injury. <laughs> I had uh, I had a funny text to you guys. I was like, I wish um, I wish a meteor would just fucking hit Toronto right now, and it would be okay because Austin Matthews is in Arizona playing golf. 
I'd like him to be included. No, I don't no, like no. That box face. No, 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 no. We need Austin Matthews for the gold medals that we're gonna win in China. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to try to like him at some point. Oh, it's it's gonna be real easy to like him. I think you'll you'll warm to it nicely. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Uh, any final thoughts on? No, I'll, they, the, this Raptors situation. Kawhi's lack of personality, his weirdo self, and you know this Raptors team, their fans, Drake. Drake, sorry, oh my god, I want to see Drake. Drake fucking lose so bad. It's done the unthinkable, and it's turned me into a Warriors fan. If you've listened to any show for this this basketball season, you know that I didn't want the Warriors to be here. I wanted this reign to end somehow, but over the past few weeks, I'm suddenly a Warriors fan now. <laughs> And our partner is, I think, rooting for the Raptors, and we gave him some shit for it last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he bought me a Golden State Warriors hat, so I've been I've been repping that. Go lately. Warriors! Yeah, fuck let's it. go, right. Steph. Let's go, Clay. <laughs> All right, we got one last uh, clip for you guys. Enjoy. We, we believe in each other, and, and we all love each other, and, you know, just the thought of it being over tonight was terrifying. Like, you know, I mean, we, we come all this way, and we really, we come together when it matters, and I think tonight was just a good example of that, and, you know, we're, we're thankful. I mean, we're blessed with a chance to play in Game 7 now, so it's going to be the same thing. I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's a roller coaster, and you just got to ride it. Is there anyone who said anything in particular Tonight, yeah, yeah, the tree stepped up. Yeah, yeah, he stepped up. Can you share what, what the what the message was? Like, that's you know, it, it's with, within us, um, just a bit. But I mean, it was exactly what we knew. It was. It was. It was an element of what the dream was. Growing up, everyone would share the same dream, kind of just bringing us all to a point where we can all, you know, be. Be on the same, you know, we were all little kids and we all wanted to be um, And I think it was just an element of, of savoring this moment and not letting it end tonight. And it was exactly what we needed. He stepped up. And we all, I mean, like, when he talks, you listen. That's the that's the part of the game. It was, it was when he needed to say it. <laughs> It was it was our one of our goals was to get the first goal and and to try and build our game off that and Marshy stepped up our power play stepped up tonight you get an opportunity like that and you have to make the most of it and we did so that was game six post game comments from Charlie McAvoy talking about the leadership of Patrice Bergeron and uh, just the chemistry within the team itself Johnny you uh, you sent this to me uh, thoughts. I just love it. So I think Bergeron is a man of few words, and he leads by what he does, you know, on the ice, off the ice. He does. He doesn't say much, and so when he does speak to the team, like he did in front in front of the team in front of before Game Six started, he knows when to deliver it. It's meaningful, and it has an impact. And clearly, it had an impact because Game Six was, I think, the best game of the series of the Stanley Cup Finals so far. And um. It's too bad, but Bergeron on the ice was the only player who was in the negative. We was a negative one plus minus, so 
but all the other guys were in the positive. But uh, Bergeron delivered what, what what the team needed beforehand, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think Bergeron, he's nursing an injury. His ice time is lower than what it has been in the past. I think you see guys like Sean Corrali playing a little bit more than Bergeron, which is very and, unusual. And he's, and he's producing, too. Sean Corrali's Corrali's been fantastic. He's been Amazing consistent. finals. But Bergeron's always been there for Game 7, so... I'm praying. That well, it would be tomorrow. time for him to show up. I, yeah. That was one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is just the lack of production from that first line in the series. And um, uh, Pasta was able to get on. Um, Marshy. Yeah, Marshy. Patented Marshan goal. Yep. But that was that was a five-on-three goal, so I'm not... Still, it, it was a patented Marshan goal. That's his That's his spot. That's where he scores. You know, it was a lightning. It was a it, the, it was a blast. You know, yeah. and it was if it was five on five. There's still no way Jordan Bennington was getting that. So right. it was just that was the typical Marshan goal that we see. Red Sox are so bad. Yeah, that was fucking <laughs> embarrassing to watch. Ugh. But you know what I mean? Like that. That's Marshan's goal. That that's his spot. That's what he does. So for him to fire that in there, that made me feel good. Pasternak was on the on the got on the board late, even though it it hit off Bennington's pillow, you know his uh, leg pad, and tipped up, so it almost didn't make it in the net mm-hmm. when he had almost full net to shoot it at. So, you know, I just think Pasta's been a victim of overthinking it at times. You know, every time he gets the puck or, or go, every time he goes into a corner, first of all he's soft. And he shies away because he doesn't want to get hit. Um, so he's not strong on the puck ever, and that's mm-hmm. frustrating. And then when he gets in, you know, in the blue zone and, you know, and say he has the opportunity to shoot it, he makes one too many passes. He makes the extra the, pass. That's been the Bruins in general this this series and throughout the playoffs, really. They've just gotten... Trying to be too per- perfect. Just a little too cute. Yeah. Um, and... It's been challenging for them, especially in Boston, where the ice has not been great. It's been a the a big under talked about theme of the series. So they go to St. Louis and they have the games where they win like five, you know. And I know the game that's seven to two. There was a lot of power plays, but but still, we're talking about that's a lot of goals. And then the game the other night in Game Six, where it was five to one. And it's the games in Boston where the puck plays like a freaking tennis ball because it's warm outside and the way that they've built the new. The new entrance to the stadium, it's so close to the ice, so when it's warm outside, the ice softens up, and so the puck is just, you see it, you, you see it, and so the puck's bouncing around on the ice, and the skilled players, that obviously doesn't benefit them at all, it's a huge negative, and it benefits a team of thugs and apes like the like the Blues, because <laughs> all they want to do wait, is wait, score hold an hold on a second, goal. are you a Bruins fan being like mad about a team of thugs and apes? Yes, you are not. That's they mirror their freaking coach. You're officially not allowed. Ruby, you are officially not Baruby allowed to be ape. mad about that. He was a that. caveman as a player. You know, I, I big man, I will check you. You know, and the guys. Just, I, I need you to finish this phrase for me, big bad. Yeah, it was the big bad Bruins, but <laughs> they've evolved into more of a skilled team now. Obviously. Oh, oh excuse me. Well. But the Every, puck, puck everybody in defensemen the everybody and, in the in the stands is still a scumbag though. So, oh, St. Louis there. is awful. No, no, I was talking about Boston. To reach his own. Yeah, it's pretty bad in St. Louis too. I was thinking about that. Um, 
like what a debaucherous and horrific affair. Like they had the whole state of Missouri champion, packed into St. Louis. <laughs> a championship parade would be in St. Louis, oh, like to burn the city down. Yeah, they'd probably kill Jenna Fisher and John Hamm. <laughs> I'm sick of them too, by the way. And they've had to rent. They had to Pam from the office. Pam from the office. Jenna Fisher. Yeah. Yeah. And they had to rent fucking captains for the fans uh, from Kansas City, which is further away from St. Louis than New York is to Boston. They brought in Mahomes and Kelsey. You think Mahomes and Kelsey give two shits about the St. Louis Blues? That's like us caring about the New York Jets or the Mets. Hey, man. Patrick Mahomes did a great job chugging that beer, though. All right. Can we just take a, a second? The new thing of football players... Chugging beers at hockey games. Brady I'm, wins. I am fucking a hundred percent all in on this shit. But Brady's still the fastest chugger. They they timed it all no, out. No, they did not. Yes, they did. Fuck you. And he's still the fastest. Oh my god. He wins. He doesn't lose. It's amazing how he can open his throat and just take it all at once. <laughs> he is amazing. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers. Don't never trust a man who can't chug a beer. Oh right? well, that okay. The Aaron Rodgers chug was embarrassing to watch. Rogers. Yeah. He like he like puts his hand up as to say, No, no, I'm not done, and then he chokes on it and puts it down with like a, a, a quarter full and the whole thing took about twelve seconds. It was a fairly feeble attempt. It fits him though. It would have been better if he had just dumped the whole thing all over himself. So true. Alright, but please continue. Alright. So back to game six. I thought one of the big factors for the Bruins and it, and I think that you know these games have had no impact from game to game it's the previous game has had no impact on the next game from game to game so mm-hmm. trying to take anything from what you just saw and apply it to the next game has been just don't don't even bother doing it but I'm with gonna, the exception of one thing power play but the Bruins power play is dried up so as St. Louis Blues. Well, they never... Bruins have never allowed anything on the power play. They've stopped 39 of the last 41. But that's the one thing that's carrying over. All right. So, okay. So, but the Bruins took... And they inserted Carson Kuhlman into the lineup in the last game. And that speed, I think, was a huge factor. Fresh legs. Especially... Well, fresh legs. And the fact that now DeBrusque... And Krejci are playing with someone with a little speed instead of looking around being like, where's David Backus? Where's David? Oh, he's way down the ice getting hit <laughs> or hitting someone again. And yes, oh, we love David Backus. And he's he our one physical guy who takes punishment, gives punishment, but the skill is just not there anymore. He's too slow for this game. Man, I know he's a former Blues captain and it would be great to have him on the ice, but they've got to stick with the same lineup because the Kuhlman speed was a factor. Even before he scored the goal, he was a factor in the game. Okay. Now, in Game 7, the one thing that I'm concerned about is the penalties being called, mm-hmm. or the the lack thereof. And I think that um, Ape Man Barubi knows this, saying that in Game 6, that his team was less physical because they were fearing a possible suspension. You know, another good excuse by this asshole liar of a coach. <clears throat> so what I think is that he's translating to his team, is like, oh... 
now we're going to come out and just be physical as hell with them from the get-go and just try to knock their guys out because there's nothing to fear now. That's one of my big concerns as a fan of the Bruins going into Game 7 is that they're just going to come in like like a wrecking ball, like trying to take out our guys. Like, what if they take out Johansson? What if they take out DeBrusque? You know? like a wrecking ball. Wouldn't that piss you off, though? Let's play hockey like this... It's just an ugly style. It's an ugly style. and Again, this is hard to take from a Bruins fan. But I've that's changed. Like what your, that's what your brand was built on. Not man. anymore. Now we have puck-moving defensemen and speed. <laughs> you sound like a pussy. Back in my day, you won Stanley Cups by punching people's faces in. All right. Well, the Blues are tough, okay? They're a tough team, but I think that the speed hurts them. I do. I think, and I, So I think the Coolman addition... It is something that, that that's working for them, and it looks like Coleman will be in for Game 7 based on the lines that we saw today at practice. All right. And the other thing I don't like is this punk goalie Bennington with all this nonsense who, during the TV timeouts, he goes to mid-ice to bump oh, the Bruins yeah. players and challenge yeah. them. Well, yeah. What is this? Uh, I think... Have you seen this before? I think he's he's having a, a hard time mentally, and he's trying to get himself going. But he did it with Bishop, too, going. in Round 2 against Dallas, and he almost got in a fight with Ben Bishop. I think that's what he does to try and put himself back in. He's a fucking weirdo. He's yes. he's old. He's a twenty six year old rookie, and um, you know he's always been the bridesmaid, never the bride. And he's been in the system forever and just keeps getting passed up. And I think that this is his fucking shot, man. This is his moment. And he's he's owning the so shit out go. of it. Well, he hasn't been good. They've broken him. They He had one good game. Game five was good. Game five. He stole game five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because other than he that, has, he's let, he let has, in. He has excellent bounce back games, though. So I know. We'll get into game about. seven. and But but he has let, like, that that bouncing puck the other night. Oh, like, he, he let in two soft goals. Yeah. So there was the Carlo goal. Bouncers from which, the blue line. Which was the, which was the bouncer. And then Carson Coleman's uh, first goal. Well, yeah, the goal he scored. Right. Well, his first it was his first playoff goal. Yeah. And uh when <laughs> when he scored and his name came up on the on the thing, I was like who? Like Well, they were talking about him all game cuz he was playing so well. Right, right. I'm just but oh, I cuz it doesn't look like Coleman or No, no. I'm saying because I don't know who the f- I haven't heard oh. of this kid before. He played for the NCAA champions, Minnesota. You weren't into that? <laughs> he was the best you're, player, you're, MVP. You're so fucking hurt that I don't know who this kid is. No, I, I don't know, know who know Ian a... Cole is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, Bennington does, just doesn't look right in that. Looks like a sloppy mess. He's weak in the five hole, and the Bruins know, know that, and he knows that. But now it seems like he's also a little weak under his arms, too. <laughs> weak in the five hole. It's good stuff. Yeah, but he knows that too. So I think he's um, what's the, what's the woman you're trying to make up for uh, adjusting and adjusting? He's make, trying to make up for that deficiency, but now oh, I think overcompensating. He's overcompensating. Yep. That's the word. There you go. Thank you. Um, and but now he's getting beat a little bit under his right his arm, especially his right arm. And but here's the thing I noticed in game in game six: the Bruins didn't let Tuukka Rask handle the puck at all in game six. Did you notice that? So like he would in the all the other games he would usually go behind. And he would get the puck. They were making. They, he stayed between the pipes in this game, and I think he stayed between the pipes because they keep losing the pucks along the wall anyway. And so they just said, you know what? Stay in net, protect the pipes at all costs. 
you know, bring, they brought the forwards down deep, which, mm-hmm. thank God, finally you're bringing the forwards down deep, you know, because all series, that's what the Blues have been doing, but the Bruins haven't been doing that, and then the, the puck has just stayed in the Bruins' own zone for minutes on end, and it's so annoying. And so, but I think it starts with Rask not letting him handle the puck and go out of, out of, his, out of, out of the net. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, um, you could definitely see that throughout the game. Um, and it helps get more support in on the breakout and, and uh, keeps you from getting pen, penned in. So, And they don't win those, the, those those puck battles anyway, so what's the point? Yeah, yeah, and you have more support when you lose it. and um, So maybe they figured something out here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a great great adjustment. I mean, uh, that's what I hope. The one thing that I really love about these these long series is it's such a chess match, and um, you know, I've, all the different moves and and strategies and combinations. Um, you know, it's just it's just fun to watch it all play out. Yeah, and the one player who's been an absolute menace and is driving me crazy. And Ryan I, O'Reilly. I, he's always given Bergeron fits. We used to mention that in our preview of the Stanley Cup yeah. when he was with the Buffalo Bills. Sorry, Sabres. <laughs> when he was with the Sabres. The other team in Buffalo that sucks. When he was with the Buffalo Sabres, he was always the one guy throughout the league who gave Bergeron fits. And hey, now, of course, fucking, he's doing it again. Fucking shout-out to Buffalo. Uh, having the highest... Stanley Cup uh, finals viewership of any market not in the, the Stanley Cup. How do you know this? It's just like, you know, one of those tweets they put out there. Oh, okay. Um, it's just funny. You know, even though their team's never in it, they always have the highest viewership Good for them. ratings. Yeah, it, well, you know. All right, so shall we get into the ref talk at all? Because th- that's been annoying. So the the series was being called a certain way. The first couple games, the first three games, and then mm-hmm. after game three, uh, caveman coach Barubi goes out of his way to say that we've been the least penalized team all year long and in the playoffs, which is a complete and utter lie. Because <laughs> if you looked up the stats, nothing that he said was true. Not in the season, not in the playoffs, not in each round. That was a lie, but it, the series changed after that, and the the Blues suddenly weren't getting called for the same penalties anymore. And if you've watched the Bruins, the Bruins have been so successful on the power play. It's such an advantage for them. So this was a game changer in the Stanley Cup as far as the series goes because it turned the series on a dime. So the Bruins aren't getting power play chances anymore. Five on five, are the Blues better? They might be. They've outscored them 12 to 10. So the Bruins kind of need these power plays and they need to score on the power plays and the man advantage and if those power plays dry up, which they did, and Barubi, maybe he's smart for knowing it. I'll give the caveman some credit. But things changed, and they went on. They won games four and game five with limited penalties. And, you know, the tripping call, the trip heard around the world in game five, <laughs> you know, where Bozak trips um, Nolachari. And, you know, everyone sees it, and, and then Perron it, leads, it the leads to the second goal. And that was just unbelievable. Even the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, their paper, it was like, what a trip. So that was, you know? that, I, and I don't want to hear it was embellished. It wasn't embellished. The guy had left with a concussion. He didn't return to the game. No. Are you embellishing to, tr- to take yourself out of the game? Please. There's been a lot of embellishing. I'll give you that from both sides. So but I, that wasn't an embellishment. <laughs> that was a freaking trip. It was a slew foot. It they called it the slew foot. It was, it was a trip, but I said it was a trip when it first happened. 
However, I think it wasn't called a trip because of his reaction. He like did a fucking backflip. He was lifted. He couldn't even see the. He couldn't see what was happening. How did he know? He didn't know. I think he felt the contact and he just flew back. I and fell. I, that's one man's opinion. Uh, I don't believe it because he didn't see what was happening. So, either way, it wasn't called. Led to a goal. What happened happened. We'll look back on it if the Bruins lose and we'll be pretty pissed about it. Because then in game game six, Marshan slew footed um, one of the Blues, and sure enough, it was called. And so that was a really frustrating thing to see happen. Um, especially after Game 5, we thought going into Game 6 that the Bruins were going to get the benefit of the calls, which is what usually happens when you get screwed the game before in the NHL playoffs. But they didn't. It, they were down. The calls went four for the Blues, only one for the Bruins. Well, I, and I, I mean, I gotta, I gotta like just shoot it straight here. I, I didn't feel like there were very many missed calls. And they're, they're, Game Six was okay, but I, you, they so didn't make it up the, to the Bruins. That's for sure. But, but. In hockey, when there is a, um, you know, like a battle penalty, something like a, a slash or a trip or something like that, and nothing happens with the puck, you can, like, ignore those. But when there's a, a turnover, you know, um, that could lead to a scoring chance, they have to call those. Yeah, I mean, it was it was undoubtedly a bad call. Like, completely... A bad call, missed call, blown call. It wasn't the reason they they lost the game, though. It wasn't. Um, you How know, do you know? We, it wasn't, we don't know what would have happened. It wasn't New Orleans getting fucked. I know it wasn't that bad. It wasn't as bad as the NFC Championship game, but it was bad, and you don't know what would have happened. The game would have been one nothing with the Bruins on a power play. It was would have been one nothing with the Bruins on a power play, and like we said before, the Bruins at to that point had been about fifty percent on the power play. So, with seven, eight minutes to go in the third period. Yeah. Instead, it goes down to 2 nothing. And to the Bruins' credit, they didn't give up on that game. They score, DeBrus scores a goal, and they, they were dominating until the end. They just couldn't get it past Bennington at the end. But th- these are the things that I'm concerned about going into Game 7 is, you know, bad calls. Although, so the, the NHL knows it's screwed up, too, because the tweet after the game that shows the second goal that the Blues scored, they start right oh, after yeah. the trip. Yeah. You know, the, 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 where they're showing the play. They start right after the trip. And then, so the referees was Kelly... The referee for that game was Kelly Sunderland, okay? Mm-hmm. Have, so game six, so they've been rotating. So game one, three, and five was Kelly Sunderland. Games two, four, and six were uh, Rooney. They, Rooney is the guy from Southie, South Boston. Mm-hmm. And so game six was Rooney. You would think that game seven would be Sunderland. Well, no, it's going to be Rooney again. So they don't, they want Sunderland nowhere near the Stanley cup. They're just saying, Nope, you screwed up. We're not giving you another chance. But the problem is the guy from Southie, he overcompensates the other way against the Bruins. And that's why he's always, the Bruins hate when this guy does games because he kills the Bruins as far as calls by going the other way. And that's the big concern. And that's what happened in game six. The blues get four calls. The Bruins get one. I don't want him to be biased against for the Bruins. I just want him to be neutral. The, and I think he goes the other way. I, we'll I agreed with all four all four calls. Eh, I didn't. Of course you didn't. Uh, Alright, um, moving on to looking towards Game 7. So yeah, Rooney's going to be the referee again. The guy from Southie. So he better help the Bruins out. Otherwise, they're not going to let him go home. So I think Ryan O'Reilly is going to have a big bounce back game 
He's already um, had big games. He has big game after big game after big game. <laughs> I think he's going to have another one because he had a big mistake in the last game. I think, um, man, the, Bru- the Blues were so close to getting that first goal. And the Bruins get a power play. And, you know, you see it all the time when, when guys go off their backhand trying to bounce it off the wall. Sometimes they get a little more on it than they meant to. And they send it over the glass. And... He's one of their best penalty killers to begin with, you know, so losing him is huge. And. Oh, right. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you just knew the Bruins were going to score there. And I was actually happy for it because I wanted this thing to go seven. Um, And it's been wildly entertaining so far. Uh, Biddington's got also another one of those big bounce back players. So. That's something, if I were a Bruins fan, that I would be just losing sleep over. No, it's the five-on-five play that I lose sleep over. Because, like I said, the Blues have outscored... The 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 Bruins have outscored the Blues, like, 21-14 to 14 in the series. But five-on-five play, it's 12-10 to 10 Blues. Okay? So that tells your power play and empty nets have been in the Bruins' favor. If the power plays dry up... Which, in my mind... Game you know, 7 whistles are going to be in the That's pockets. exactly what I'm thinking. Game 7... I don't know what the history is, though. That's why I wanted to harken back to... The last Game 7 in the NHL Stanley Cup Finals was 2011. And the Bruins were at the Vancouver Canucks. And they won 4-1. to Now, I think that there was only three penalties in that game. Uh, prior to that, the Game 7... Uh, game 7 of the Stanley Cup was 2009. Between the Red Wings and the Pittsburgh Penguins... If you don't know, that's Ernesto's team. Uh, how many <laughs> how many penalties were called in that game? There were five penalties. Was it like three two? Uh, or was it four to one or five to nothing? Was it that? It was, yeah. it was three two. Three two, yeah. Uh, slashing, and holding, tripping, nothing. So five penalties seems maybe a little high. I wonder what the over under is for. Penalties. Penalties. You know, it just, the whole thing, it stresses me out, man. The whole thing stresses me out, you know, because the I'd rather this Game 7 be in St. Louis because I feel like all the pressure was on St. Louis in that game. The whole city was there. The city, the state of Missouri was packed into St. Louis, ready to explode. The cup was in, like, a few feet from their locker room. And, you know, I think that the pressure gets to you, and I think the nervous tension energy in the building can be a negative to the home team. And I think that's exactly what happens. And when the road team scores the first goal, you know, that can really shock the home home crowd and take them out of it because it's a nervous energy. And I think that now that what happened to St. Louis in Game 6, something similar can happen to the Bruins in Game 7. You know, everyone's going to be kind of have that nervous energy in the building. And God forbid the Blues go ahead and score the first goal of the game. And we know how the Blues have been when they t- get a lead in this series. When they get a lead, they just they button down the hatches, and it's like nobody's getting in the house from here on out. And it it's it's frustrating to watch because you just can't get in there. So it's I don't know. I'd rather the game be in St. Louis as, as a Bruins fan. Yeah, I mean that makes a lot of and sense. And I like the rice better. <laughs> did you hear what they did? Uh, and I don't like this either. This freaking story from today, Darren Drager tweeted out earlier did you see this about the ice and the practice time so the Bruins got their practice they're skating earlier on the Bruins uh the the garden ice today and then it needed to be cleaned off and reset for the Blues to have their practice time and the Zamboni driver 
and the guys in charge took their sweet ass time and they weren't getting it done and they left the ice dirty and they were just they're messing with the blues and the blues general manager comes down and says do your fucking job like let's fucking go we're supposed to have practice here and the uh the zamboni guy says who's pissed in your coffee today you know, it's just just kind of irking the blues. Like, don't mess with karma. Like, this is so, like, Mickey Mouse shit. Like, come on. Like, it's game seven. They're going to have their practice time. Just clean the ice and let them go do it. Like, yeah, why are we prolonging job. this? Like, why are we messing with this? Like, I feel like that's a Red Arback thing when they used to do to the Lakers is turn up the temperature in the opposing team's locker room. Maybe that's just a Boston thing and I've got to accept it, but... You know, someone was like, you know, in their Blues hotel room tonight, there'll be an alarm going off at 3 a.m. Like, just let's go. Let's play the game straight up. Let's not mess with karma. That's probably why we lost those two Giants Super Bowls. Because <laughs> you fucking cheated? No, because they do stupid stuff, you know? Stupid fan stuff. Oh, this has been a very it, fan complaining show. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, because, you know, it was the. Well, there was. The second Giants Super Bowl, at least I know that, you know, they were messing with the hotel. Yeah. All right. Well. Game seven predictions, Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> I just hope I survive. Okay. I, Survival, I, I hope. <laughs> I, I predict you will survive. I need to get some ice cream. <laughs> so you can cry into it? If, if I don't know. I, I just find ice cream not uh, ice cream to be comforting in these times of need, of these stressful times. All right. Well, if I don't an, know. If anybody wants to uh, send some ice cream to Johnny, you can Venmo him like <laughs> five or ten bucks. Get him something nice. A little. It, watching these games is not fun enough, though, and you know that. It's such such fucking torture it's torture everyone's like at work it's like oh enjoy the game oh you have so much fun oh you hope you enjoy the game like, no, no. <laughs> there is no enjoying the game from the second it starts to the second it ends I, the only game i mean six wasn't so bad but in game three game three wasn't bad either because it was seven or two but other than that these games they're just they tear you inside out you know i thought watching the red sox playoffs last year with kimbrell was tough these Bruins games and the Stanley Cup and are no, so much more difficult. No. no, no, I don't think so. We talked about this know. before because I think they're all tough. I think, I think because hockey moves so fast that you you have no choice. You have no choice yeah. but to move on because it's it's <laughs> moving on. You don't have any time to think about you it. Don't. Like, like baseball gives me severe anxiety. Just because it takes so fucking long to happen. Like, throw the pitch. Throw the pitch. What's going to happen here? Throw the pitch. What's going to happen? Throw the pitch. It's nice watching with you, though, because we'll we'll run a little bit behind, and then you'll just blaze right through it. That's what I do in between periods. You know, I'll, I'll grab a smoke and, and school then, like, through the commercials and the periods, through in, it, intermissions. Yeah. I just want ice time. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, go Bruins. Go. That's go Bruins. Johnny wants the Bruins to win, and and they're big favorites in this game too, which has not been a good sign. Every time they're big favorites, they don't win. They're minus one seventy. <laughs> like, why are they such big favorites? I feel like the series just could go either way, and a lot of the time, I have felt that the Blues may actually be the better team, just because they 
don't allow the Bruins to do shit. They don't allow the Bruins to play their game. And when the Bruins can't play their game, what do they got? They don't have a game. They don't have a game. So, do you feel that way too? Do you feel that, like, you know, it's 3-3, it's tied up, but do you feel that, like, if you had to pick a winner based on these games, who would you pick so far? Just watching. Not on anything, but just watching the games. Um, I mean, you'd, you'd have to give the nod to Boston, the um, the scoring to Well, not based on the score. Just, like, you know, watching just, play. Just the, just the eye test. Um, well, I think... It's controlled I th- the series. More. I mean, I suppose St. Louis has. They've. It's really been dictated at their pace, except for when they're failing at what they do. But when they're on, it's... They're they're very on. Tough to get in there. Yeah. That's why, like I mentioned before, maybe we've, we've solved something, but... Well, sure and I think it also proves that, that Barube is just more than just a caveman. Like, that's a pretty good system. No, he's a caveman. <laughs> All right. Well, if you'd like to um, send any words of um, encouragement and... Peace and um, Tatis. Hopefully not. Hopefully not consolation. But if you'd like to reach out to Johnny, you can do that at Green Mountain Grinder on Twitter. Uh, you can find the podcast on Facebook, on Podbean, on Apple Podcasts, and on Instagram uh, at Green Mountain Sports. So, any parting thoughts, John? Let's go Bruins. Okay. Let's do it. See you next week-ish.